0: Hi, Pedestrians. Welcome to Founders University. My name's Chris Wurrusinha, and I'm a co-founder of Pedestrian.tv. Founders Uni is a geeky, in-depth chat with some of our favorite Aussie startup legends. But first, a word from our sponsor. We recently ran some research at Pedestrian and found out that one in three of our readers were actively working on a side hustle. If that's you and your side hustle doesn't have a website, then you really need to jump onto Squarespace.com now. Whether it's a creative passion or a way to make a bit of extra coin, make 2018 the year you take it to the next level. And with the offer code PTV, you not only get a beautifully designed website from Squarespace, but you also get 10% off your first purchase. Oscar McMahon is the co-founder of Young Henry's. The beer brand, born straight out of Newtown, brewed 5 million litres in the past year. Alongside their classic Newtowner Aussie Pale Ale, They've also collaborated with everyone from the Foo Fighters, Dune Rats, and Deezy Deathrays to craft their own brews. Young Henry's is growing nationwide and well and truly living up to its own motto to serve the people. Oscar opens up about the hard work that went into the brand from the early days, including a sleep deprivation-induced brewing accident that almost had life-threatening consequences. Hi, Oscar. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: It's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure.
0: I was enjoying a few tinnies of your summer hop ale over the weekend, so I've got to thank you for that. They were delicious.
1: Excellent. Thank you for helping to contribute towards our rent.
0: <laughs> That's at any time. So I think last time we were in the same room together, it was over a decade ago, and I was filming you on the set of a Lee Jeans shoot. You've got quite an eclectic background for someone who's running such a successful business. Can you talk us through your background?
1: The two main things in my background, I, I think, have been skateboarding and music, really. And I say that because skateboarding and music has sort of defined, you know, a lot of my friendship groups and a lot of, I guess, how I, how I identify with myself and I identify with, you know, yeah, my, my personality, the way I look and dress and... and in, in a strange way, I think that music has really influenced my path. So through playing in a band, some people you know, noticed our look on stage and through that I actually uh, ended up getting a few like, modeling gigs, which is one of the things that you're talking about. Our band actually ended up getting sponsored by Lee Jeans, uh, which was pretty cool. Music was also the reason that I started working in bars because I needed a casual job. We were playing a lot at nights, so we were rehearsing at nights, so we thought, well, I may as well get a night job so I can have days off to write and stuff like that. And through starting casual bartending, I actually really fell in love with hospitality. Not, I was never a mixologist or any. Um, I don't think I was actually that good at, as a bartender <laughs> of like you know making drinks and stuff like that, but. Uh, I really enjoy the personal the personal interaction. I really enjoy that um, being there when people are either having that drink which wipes away their day or they're commiserating or they're celebrating. You know, if you're working in a bar, you get to see people at their best and at their lowest, you know. It's a really interesting set of human interactions, which I really, really love. And funnily enough, through... Through bartending, I actually ended up falling in love with beer and booze and um, met um, Richard Adamson who became, you know, the co-founder of Young Henry's. I met him over a bar, so I guess in a weird way. Music has defined me as a person and has sort of sort of flowed through it and has put me on a bit of a path, I guess, and now Young Henry supports a lot of live music and um, does a lot of things with bands and musicians as a sort of uh, way of keeping that in our lives and you know, keeping that thread continuous. Yeah, cool, so you mentioned
0: meeting Richard. Can you talk us through what that initial meeting was like and you know, how that then grew into Young Henry's?
1: We met over the bar at the Roxbury Hotel in Glebe and we met a couple of times, he lived around the corner uh, he was working for a different company called Barron's, which was a beer company back then. Through a couple of, you know, late night drinking sessions, we decided to form a beer club together that would meet in the back room of the Roxbury Hotel. And that was a really, really fun, you know, experience. That would have been about, I guess, seven, about seven or eight years ago now. Actually, it would be about eight years ago. And the craft beer industry wasn't what it is now. Um, so when people heard about this little gathering of people getting together to try different beers in the background of a pub, some, quite a few people were really genuinely interested. And we didn't have a Facebook group. We didn't do any marketing. It was just word of mouth only. And by the time that we stopped doing that, we, there was about 120 members. And through, through those beer clubs, seeing people's genuine excitement and interaction with different beers one night once the night had finished you know rich and i were sitting around at the bar we'd had quite a few ourselves and rich said something to the effect of how good would it be to create a beer company that was as in touch with the people as beer club is it's like yeah it's a great idea and we followed up on it the next day. We started talking about it. Started talking about this concept of, like, can you can you make a local brewery which, you know, excites people and is in contact with people and makes beers that reflect people's tastes. And that that was the beginning of the journey. It took us about two years to get open after that point. Yeah, nice. No, and so what happened in that two years? There was a false start with a site that we didn't... Um, we basically put in a DA that was held up. We had to go to Land and Environment Court, and we lost that. And then there was, you know, a period of dejection. Uh, and then we found a really great warehouse in in Newtown. And then it was, you know, building, planning, all of that sort of stuff. So that took it t- took. I think from the time that we. We got the keys on the 1st of November 2011 and our first beer was sold mid-April 2012. So that whole period was, you know, building and dialing in the brewery. Yeah, cool. So I think when some people think about like
0: maybe like craft breweries starting, they sort of picture someone, I don't know, brewing beer in their bathtub or something like that. But it sounds like you guys had a pretty clear idea of what you wanted to achieve
1: straight away. Would that be true? I don't think the term clear ideas should ever be used with Young Henry's. We Look, we had a vision, we had a dream, but we didn't have a one sort of a, a clearly cut business plan. Originally, we were going to have a little restaurant in the tasting bar and we couldn't get that through council. So we just started making beer and going out and, you know, hitting up our networks and meeting pub owners and bar owners and saying, hey, do you want to buy a couple of kegs here and there? In, in the early days, it was a real struggle. Getting the production flow of a brewery is really difficult because not only is it this creative, exciting outlet, you also are creating a production facility. And that has been, you know, probably the most trying aspect of the business the whole time is, you know, production, not holding too much stock, you know, not running out of stock, making sure the stock is good, but that was a, yeah, that was a steep learning curve for, for all involved.
0: In the challenges of those early days, what was the hardest part about the business? Was it selling in to pubs or was it keeping up with demand or was it like quality control?
1: I would say that in the early days, all three of those things were issues. It was difficult to do sales because so many of the bigger pubs had, you know, quite exclusive Lion or Carlton contracts. That's sort of changed a bit, especially in the inner west, especially in you know, like most of Sydney now. Actually, production, making enough and making sure that it's good quality, it's it's a really difficult thing. You're learning, you're learning to create a product. Consistently with natural products. Yeah, that takes some getting used to. And I think we got most of our really big errors out of the way early days, but it's, uh, look, it's a work in progress, isn't it? And how did you
0: and Richard kind of, because um, your business partner split the duties in those early days?
1: In the early days, Richard had had brewing experience before. So he was the head brewer. And so I basically learnt to brew in there, and I was also out doing sales and serving at the bar, running deliveries. There were so many things that needed to be done, we just sort of got in and got it done. Like our first year was really difficult. We were doing, I was working in a bar at night as well, because we couldn't afford to pay ourselves. And we were doing some ridiculous hours, six-day weeks, not seeing families and friends, and it was it was really really trying. It, um, yeah, well, I, we're both really lucky to have gotten out of that with, you know, our sanity and our marriages <laughs> intact. You know, it was incredibly taxing.
0: Have you got tips for people who are like in that stage? kind of now? Like, I think a lot of the, like people's first year, first couple of years in businesses, especially if they're trying to do it around other work, can be so challenging. Mm. Like, what, what's some practical advice?
1: The white-knuckle terror phase, I guess. If I could have looked back on it, I think that if you're already investing in a business that, you know, will completely destroy your life if it fucks up then don't put yourself on a huge wage, but don't hold out on paying yourself for as long as we did. I think that the business should be able to invest in you and in your time. We held out as long as we could, and I feel like it was almost to the detriment of um, ourselves personally. If we had have been able to afford even just a, a small salary earlier, it would have meant I was working less nights in the bar. It would have just respecting your time even though you're building something you need to respect your time and respect your your labors you need you need to show yourself that respect i think and also by giving yourself that little bit of you know finance you are respecting your family you're actually not having to work a second job you can go and you know defrag when you get home which is really really important because i feel i really feel like for that first year Neither of us took a breath. It's a very very hazy first year. When did
0: you know that it was time to give up the bar job?
1: I think it became a necessity thing. When you're constantly tired and you're not doing a good job of anything, that's when something needs to change. And we we yeah, we got basically got to that point. We we'll were run ragged and you know, all of a sudden we were just working during the day and wow, that was <laughs> Yeah, just working a full time job, uh, and that, that felt relaxing.
0: Yeah, nice. Can you, can you remember the most intense moment from that first year? Is there one that stands out?
1: Yeah, there is. One time, one morning, Rich and I were both brewing, and we had a we had a brew in, and at the bottom of the mash tun, which is like basically the first step um, vessel. It was leaking, and it's an adjustable door, and I was super tired. saw that it was leaking, and I was like, oh, we're losing quite a bit there. I just went to fix it, and Richard's like, oh, just just leave it. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure I can get this, and just turned the latch the wrong way and undid, undid this latch, and basically, you know, 1,200 litres of seriously hot, sticky liquid just evacuated out of this manhole in a matter of seconds, you know, And it was really, it was frightening. You know, steam up everywhere. Neither of us could see each other because we were basically separated by this thing. I had to climb up the back of the brew house to get away from it because it was hot. You know, it was uh, between 60 and 70 degrees and sticky liquid, you know. So yeah, that was, you know, that was a potentially very dangerous situation just brought on by being overtired and not thinking. It, sound,
0: it sounds like something from a movie or something. Yeah. like, Just the room filling up with boiling hot liquid. That's yeah. It, it was intense.
1: Kind of, it was intense. It was really, really, really scary. And Both of us sort of had to go and sit down for a bit and then we, you know, did the latch back up and started again. Yeah, that was, that was frightening. Being overtired and just not thinking straight in an industrial situation. You know, like a brewery is a dangerous workplace. In those early
0: days, you were working another job. I mean, were there kind of like cash flow pressures and things like that as well? Or like was there a lot of demand for the beer that you were brewing so that it kind of made up for that?
1: Um, There were definitely cash flow pressures in the early days, absolutely. We were getting to know the invoicing process, um, getting to know how wholesale wholesale customers like to pay and you know it doesn't matter what invoice terms you put on if that doesn't suit them they'll ignore your calls and emails for a while until they feel like it's suitable to pay for the beer that they've already sold uh, we won't get started on that though <laughs> yeah look there were, there were cash flow pressures I think early days it, it wasn't actually any one particular pressure it was we were working out the production cycle, we were working out how many customers we could have, you know, actually maintaining customer relationships and making sure that these customers were happy, getting deliveries right on the, you know, the right times and basically making sure that every, you know, every Wednesday and Thursday when we were running deliveries that we had enough beer to actually fulfil the deliveries. That took, that took a few years to get all of that right and we just started paying ourselves a meagre amount. We couldn't afford to have um, other staff at that time. We were really lucky, actually, because we were the first brewery that had opened in Sydney for quite a while. And it was an industry that quite a few people were really interested in. We had uh, an amazing group of people that said, hey, you know what, I really want to learn. I know you can't pay us. So we actually would have different volunteers that would come in for a day a week, sometimes two days a week, and they would help out. And that was incredibly invaluable to us. And I don't think that you could ever – I could ever open another business and expect that again. It was just one of these amazing things where people were just so keen. Like, I know you can't pay me, but I want to learn. And so we're like, oh, okay, well, look, we don't want to – We don't want to exploit you, but we would love a hand. So that was that was pretty amazing. Feel a bit of a groundswell of people being genuinely interested and wanting to be connected to what you're building. That was really cool. So, so did you have investors or anything like
0: that in the early days, or you guys just sort of like built it up from savings? Or
1: there was there was um, no look in in the early days. There was two family homes that got uh, remortgaged for it. And we were up as sureties. Everyone, the, there was, I think it was five people that invested initially, and we all basically begged, borrow and stole everything that we could get our hands on. Everyone just was basically all in. So when you say
0: five people invested, was that like friends, family, sort of investors, or did you guys go out to kind of other people as well connected to brewing? And
1: while, while we were working on our business idea, We'd, we started tell, talking to different people about it, and we kept hearing, hey, my mate would be really keen to hear about this, you know. And so we actually got introduced to a few people um, just to, throughout the process of people that, hey, they're probably going to be, you know, interested in this, and some of them are still with us today have made really, um, really great business partners. Yeah, awesome.
0: So... Was that initial pitch trying to raise money difficult, or like because people were kind of passionate about the idea? Were they sort of quite happy to work with you guys?
1: It was difficult because what you're talking about back then is an idea. It's just, it, you know, it was a it was a bound book of basically, it's going to look like this, it's going to taste like this, it's going to be, you can tell someone something's going to be cool, but, you know, can you tell them... And your money's going to be completely safe. This It's going to be a successful business. We're not going to fuck it up. Who goes into business saying, I'm probably going to fuck this up? Um,
0: Even though most do, so... Yeah, Yeah. you know,
1: like, business is gambling in a weird way. You're you're gambling on an idea. You're gambling on the people that are involved. um, And you're gambling on the market being ready for it. You know, you can think of... uh, probably quite a few different, you know, businesses that the idea was fantastic, came out too early, didn't work. Someone does that 10 years later, boom. <laughs> you know, like, totally is down to timing, which I guess is another part of luck, hence the, the gambling mindset, I guess. <laughs> None of us are gamblers, by the way.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the scale of young Henry's today? Because, I mean, it's it seems like at least within a 10-kilometre radius of Newtown, it's a household name, and potentially beyond there as well. Like, can you talk us through, like, where the business is at today, like how much beer you're brewing, any other, like, metrics of success?
1: Yeah. Uh, look, we we have um, staff in almost every state now, which is really cool. We have a crew of about 60. We are uh, for sale in, you know... A very large amount of the national bottle shops now we have around five or six hundred tap customers throughout australia and last year we sold nearly five million liters of beer jeez wow so for a nearly six-year-old business it's been a real dream run it's one of those big pie in the sky sort of dreamy statements like how good would it be to create a brewing company that actually gets the community our community excited and it feels really really good to have done something which has actually resonated with a whole bunch of people and for some of those people they see what we've done with young henry's as a business culturally you know a business that actually cares about stuff and has fun some people really love that other people just really like the beer and either way that's okay but to have built a business which has actually resonated and mean something to someone. That's a really uh, that's a really incredible feeling, and I, I'm I'm pretty aware that this is probably going to be the one-off, you know, the once-in-a-lifetime sort of business. So that's it's really cool. Like I'm not I'm not overly driven by by money. For me, the most important part of Young Henry's is that I feel proud of it, and I feel that we've done something culturally significant, but you know, significant to me. Something that I can be proud of and can stand behind. And I am, you know. We have a sort of like a mission statement, a statement of values that we wrote in the early days of Young Henry's. And I just inducted a new staff member this morning and I read him that, that same page of our statement of values. And we've added to it as the company's grown and stuff like that, but the ethos remains the same today as it did when we started you know we wanted to do cool things with cool people we wanted to make beer that suited our tastes and not worry about necessarily what the market's doing please please yourself you know, field of dreams sort of stuff you know if you build it they will come and that's a really really good feeling to be able to you know and i know i know that six years is in the scheme of a bit of businesses within the world is nothing you know i'm well aware of that but it is really nice to be able to see that in six years we've progressed, but we haven't changed. Yeah, cool. So were those some
0: of the excerpts from that one pager yeah. that you were just talking about then?
1: Yeah, not direct quotes, but that's, yeah. you know, the marble of it. Summing summing certain things up, you know. As a business, we've always tried to make decisions based upon something that we think is right for us and for our business. That's the filter that we use. If someone's throwing a party and they want us to get involved, we ask ourselves, would you go to this? Are you excited by this idea, you know? Um, If not, do you like the people? Yeah? You want to do something with them? Okay, cool. How can we make this better? How can we make this more exciting? Just because you could spend countless amounts of, you know, money doing consumer testing and getting feedback and all that sort of stuff basically trying to work out what you think someone else might be thinking so that you could maybe make a product that you could market towards them. Like, that just just seems so false and such a waste of fucking time. You know, like, like we can be our own little test group, right? Like, I like this. Do you like this? Yes. Cool. All right. Well, surely there's going to be some other people in this 24, 25 million... <laughs> person, country, that's going to like that, you know? We don't have to pr- please everybody to create a successful business, you know? By applying that filter to, you know, most of our business decisions, we do things that we can always stand behind. Sometimes they don't work, and that's okay, because we did it for the for the right reason. And sometimes they do work, because you're just following something which is natural and true. And I think one of the things in business, especially in the early years... You need to make decisions based on what you think is cool and what you think is right. Because financial return could can sometimes be so far away, <laughs> you know, that it doesn't even seem like it would be real. So was there a point at which you
0: looked and said, I think this is going to work? Like when you sort of saw things change or something that you guys did that was a bit of a game changer in the business?
1: I think when we brewed Newtowner for the first time. We hadn't done a pale ale before and... The Chamber of Commerce for um, for Newtown approached us and asked if we'd like to brew a commemorative beer for Newtown's 150th birthday. And we were like, yeah, okay, cool. We're thinking, what, what do people in Newtown drink? A lot of people were drinking Reshes at that time, a lot of Cooper's Pale Ale. We're like, okay, cool. So it can't be anything too crazy and out there, you know. An easy drinking pale ale sounds like it'd be a good thing for the party, right? And we are going to launch this beer at the Cordy. And we'd never, sold, we'd never sold a keg at the Cordy before. So it was like, wow, that's a big pub. You know? We brewed this batch of beer and we dropped it off to the Cordy and it was Newtown's birthday. And we went through a whole batch of beer in one week through one pub. And we'd never seen anything like that before. That just sort of started continuing. We'd make it again, we'd make it again. And being proud Newtowners, you know, we decided that, all right, this beer only gets sold in Newtown. So it started overtaking our other beers. And it was just starting to get added to pubs in Newtown. People were like, oh, wow, Newtown, it's our own beer. Yeah, we'll have it on, that's fantastic. And it got to the point where... We were getting licensees coming from Surrey Hills, Paddington, Bondi, coming in and going, hey, I've tried that beer. I want it in, in my pub. We're like, look, we can't. Sorry, we, you know, we just can't make enough for anyone outside of Newtown. And this went on for a little while. And Young Henry's, like our, our tagline has always been, well, our motto is serve the people, right? Accessible beers, beer is for everyone, serve the people. And one time, where it clicked, my wife and I were having a conversation, and she said, you know, only serving Newtowner in Newtown is not very serve the people. Like, wow, yeah, you're right there, you know? So we actually uh, wrote an email to a few different licensees around Newtown, and we said, look, how would you feel if we released this beer outside of Newtown? And what was really amazing is that the only negative was just as long as I don't run out. (laughs) And everyone else was like, no, that's really that's really cool, take Newtown to the world. And as soon as we did that, as soon as we allowed other people to start drinking Newtown, that's the moment where things changed. People were so interested in, I guess, a company from Newtown, independent, we're a little bit punk rock, a bit, little bit noisy, the beer tastes great, it's really easy drinking. I don't know, it just seemed to encapsulate a few of the right things for people. I guess I don't really know, but it just took off. And now Newtowner is more than 60% of our national business.
0: Stay tuned after the break for more from Founders University. If you want to know how easy it is to build a website on Squarespace, it's time to tune in. I jumped onto Squarespace and registered the domain foundersuni.com. I then chose a website template that worked for our podcast, Picked the functionality we needed, typed in the copy and uploaded my images. From there, you simply select your plan and publish. And with the offer code PTV, you get 10% off your first purchase at squarespace.com. So what are you waiting for? So what have you learned about production? Not necessarily maybe like even about beer production because there might be people out there who are like, I don't know, want to make surfboards or something like that from brewing 5 million liters of beer. like. How do you go from accidentally opening the bottom part of the beer and almost scalding yourself to doing five million liters?
1: Uh, I think a really important thing that we learnt is that quality needs to take precedence over volume. You basically, you can hitting a volume target with shitty beer will do more damage to your brand than not making certain delivery days, not making certain you know delivery spots, but actually waiting for the beer to be right and getting, getting everything ready. Quality, I think, has been the biggest focus of our company for the last three years. We've now built up a really, really strong lab. We've got some cr- great equipment. We have got Quite a high sensitivity of microbiological um, scrutiny, and every single beer or cider that comes out of our brewery gets signed off by someone from the brew team, someone from the quality control team, and one of the directors of the company. Every single batch. And that's the most important thing to us, is get your production moving, get your people brewing good quality beer. On a regular basis, and that's when you start adding volume. You need to add volume of quality beer. So, how much beer do you drink in an average week? <laughs> Look, I don't actually know. Not, <laughs> not that much. I reckon I will will sign off uh, a beer or two every morning. So they'll be um, they'll be generally you know eight thirty or nine o'clock. <laughs> You know, you'll have your first sip for the day, but that's more analytical. You know, you're having a couple of mouthfuls, you're writing notes, you're scoring it, you're signing it off. It's really funny that I think socially, I actually now, in the evenings, I I really like drinking red wine because (laughs) I don't analyze it. You know, beer, I'm constantly smelling it and I'm thinking about it. When I switch to red wine, it's less analytical. I'm like, okay, cool. This is my relaxation time. I'm just, I'm having a drink for me now. So I think that's definitely been a bit of a shift in the last couple of years, you know? Switching off, leaving the beer at work a bit. So so what's a beginner's guide to
0: tasting beer? Like, what do you, what are the tasting notes that you're looking for in the particular beers and things like that? Or if someone wants to look, you know, kind of intelligent about craft beer at a pub or something like that and wants to impress their mates.
1: <laughs> yep, okay. Well, first, it's all about aroma. Get to know the aroma. Hops are a they are a flower, an acidic flower, which they create bitterness. They create um, that fruity or spicy aroma. So they can vary between aromas of cut grass, um, slightly spicy aromas, and you know, fruity passion fruit type um, type aromas. So that's kind of what you're looking for at first. If you ever smell butterscotch on a beer, you probably shouldn't drink it. <laughs> um, and then, in when when you put it in your mouth, you want to be tasting bitterness from from hops. And depending on how dark the colour of, of the beer is, you'll be getting if you if you've got a dark beer, you'll be getting roasted, toasted malts. Which have basically been killed. Uh, if it's a light, bright beer, it should be you know refreshing, easy drinking, and it should be clean. You shouldn't have any questions. Yeah, a beer, a beer should just be a seamless thing. You know, it should it should smell and taste similar. You don't want to have a big aroma and then nothing in the mouth. You know, it needs to be really well rounded. It's funny when you drink a really well rounded beer, you don't think. About any of its characteristics as sticking out per se, you just really enjoy it. I find that especially now that I am a bit more analytical with beers, I'll notice when something is too pronounced in one particular um, indice, I guess interesting. you sell into kind
0: of pubs and bars as well as into bottle shops what's the differences? between the two and like do they have their own unique challenges in terms of kind of as
1: customers absolutely well generally they're very different business mindsets you know the bottle shop owner is very different to a publican a publican is about getting people in and keeping them there whereas a bottle shop is about creating local trade which is constant everyone in the booze industry Everyone is usually a bit of a lush themselves. <laughs> so they're always... They, they, we, we deal with quite a few fun people, you know? Like someone who's a publican, like, why'd you get into it? Well, I love it, don't I? <laughs> you know, bottle shop owners usually have got a great cellar of weird beers, whiskies, wines, you know? it's People, they're genuinely really actually into enjoying themselves or the products. Maybe, like the difference between a bottle shop owner is that they're more specifically product-driven, whereas a publican is more, like, into going out, into experience, into events, parties, you know. Slightly different. That that would be a slight, you know, generalisation.
0: You've recently brewed a beer with the Foo Fighters, mm. as well as having done beers with the Doonies, DZ Death Rays, Pond, like, some amazing talent. How do those collaborations come about like specifically with the Foo Fighters most recently but then also the ones that you've done previously with like homegrown talent?
1: I would actually say that the Foo Fighters one came about because we've done so mu- so many projects with homegrown talent. The beers that we make with uh you know young Australian bands that's the sort of stuff which I really I really get excited about. When I was younger and playing in bands I wish that, that there were other companies promoting independent bands, promoting independent live music venues, and pushing tours and promoting live music as a you know, as a focus. You can be apathetic about music venues closing down or you can celebrate the ones that are still open. I choose to celebrate the ones that are still open. And through, you know, Making making beers—it's a fun project. We get to meet a whole bunch of really rad, you know, Australian musicians, and it's it's an easy thing. Hey, do you want to make a beer? Let's let's do something. Let's you're going on tour, cool. We'll have the beer go on tour with you. It's going to be fun. It's about pushing ourselves to be creative and create something fun, but it's also about celebrating things that we believe in outside of. You know just beer actually trying to put a spotlight on and say hey check these guys out you know this this is we, we think these guys are all right these are fun people and i think through doing all of that stuff when food fighters were looking for a a beer company to make a beer with they asked uh, around and a couple of people just said well it's got to be young henry's yeah, yeah so really we need to thank the, the DZ Death Rays and the June Rats and You or My and Pond and yeah, we need to thank them all for basically taking a punt on us because it's sort of it's led to this. The Foo Fighters thing is it's pretty massive. They're a pretty big band. But I'm really excited just to, you know, get back to supporting and being more a part of the Australian music scene. It's not going to be a change in our MO. You know, I really really am passionate about australian musicians and i think that the australian music scene is in actually in a pretty good place at the moment even though it's widely reported that maybe it's not in sydney well, I, I kind of disagree with that there's always places to go there's always good bands coming out you know don't read what you see in the papers there are good venues there are good bands
0: i feel like there haven't been that many places to play for like the last 15 or 20 years like so like there's always been a limited supply of live music venues so there's always places to see people but there's just new ones springing up to replace them so
1: absolutely yeah
0: one of my favorite memories actually from the last 12 months was watching dune rats at the metro and smashing the dunies beer like and it just felt so natural to be drinking the band's beer while you're watching them and the artwork and the beer was great it just worked perfectly so it, it all
1: makes sense right yeah. it's not it's not rocket surgery you know <laughs> like it just yeah make a beer the band's going to play you get to drink the beer while the band's playing it's I don't know it's just a pretty simple concept but it, look it's great yeah cool and so the first one of those was it the act that approached you guys or did you guys approach the act the first one was actually Peter Fenton from Crow so um, Peter's also um, he, he was also an actor and he's I think he won an AFI award or something and he was hanging out in the brewery early days, and um, and I think Richard said to him, "Oh, look, would you ever, would you ever like to, you know, come in and make a beer with us?" And he's like, "Oh, yeah, all right. Well, what do we, what do we need to do?" It's like, "Okay, we need to come up with a concept and all this sort of stuff." So he went away and he came back and he said, "I've written a manifesto <laughs> for Newtown and Enmore. and more." We're like, "Wow, okay." And so he basically had written this uh, really amazing piece of prose about his memories of playing in bands and growing up in the inner west. And there were some amazing, um, you know, just amazing statements like, um, you know, bright red lights reflecting off wet Snake King Street or something like that, you know. Like ashtrays, ashtrays full of ashes and stubs, you know, things like that. And we're like, all right, cool. There's some really great imagery here. It's like, all right, it's dark and it's red. There's there's smoke. That you know, and so we made this like spicy smoked dark red ale. We I think we called it Black and More, and uh, and that was yeah, that was the first one. And then when we we had a launch party for that in the brewery and Andy Kent from U or My actually came along and he said, well, what do I have to do to get a UMI or My beer. Then that all kicked off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so can you talk us through some of the other ventures that you guys have sort of gone into? So things like reopening the unicorn and, you know, kind of like other things as well. Like what makes you, I guess, decide to maybe like change, not necessarily change focus, but add something else to like you know what must already keep you pretty busy
1: um the unicorn was an opportunity that sort of came to me that I actually passed on to my friends Jake, Kenny and Elvis I said hey guys look there's this amazing pub that's closed the owner wants someone just to get in and do something it's a pretty amazing opportunity how would you guys like to you know are you interested and I had no intention of being involved myself, to be honest. And when they, um, they thought about it, and they went, yeah, this is cool, let's do this. And they just turned around and they were like, are you in? I'm like, whoa, I hadn't really thought about that. And I guess we'd been, you know, Young Henry's was at a point where, I guess we'd been running about three and a half, nearly four years at that point. And I guess I kind of felt like I could do something on the side, I could do a side project, and that was fucking madness. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking, but I'm so glad I did it, you know? It was... Look, I love old pubs. You know, I think that they're a really important part of uh, Australian culture, and they're visually beautiful. And being able to have the opportunity to create what a pub feels like, looks like, and tastes like with some mates, that was an amazing experience. We got to basically create a our version of an Australian pub, and that was a really incredible experience. I um, that was one of the things I'd always wanted to I'd always wanted to have, you know, to own a pub one day. So it was, yeah really really incredible opportunity but I grossly (laughs) underestimated the um, the amount of extra time that having another business would actually you know take and I'd just gotten out of that phase of being so crazy time poor and I kind of dropped myself back into it (laughs) but that's okay we've got a really good team now and they run it really well and so uh, we're in and out but we're not as hands on I mean, the brand's in such a huge place at the moment. Like, is there anything that actually keeps you up at night? Of course. Yeah, there is. The culture of the business is one of the most important things to me. And that is the culture of not only the internal culture of how our people feel about our business, because that is a a really, really difficult thing to keep going. You know, we pay people to be there. It's their job. When you wake up in the morning and you don't want to go to to work, our people are the same. Even though brewing is their vocation, they love it, they love the company and they believe in it. It's still it's still a job. We still need to keep fostering excitement and you know making it a place that people want to come and place where people can feel heard and feel like they're actually doing something. One of the one of the blessings of having a company like Young Henry's is that people buy into it with more than just, yeah, it's my job. It becomes part of how they define themselves. And the difficult thing of that is that they then have a higher expectation of what the business should be and what it could possibly be. And it, it's it can be really hard, you know. We the culture of our business is really, really important because I want all of our people to feel proud of what of where they are and what they're doing in the world. And then also I want the the culture of our business to be seen correctly in the eyes of the public as well. And that's a really difficult thing as well, especially now that um, we're a national company. It's a real challenge having a national voice, maintaining your, you know, you gotta maintain your Newtown Street cred But you're talking to a national audience and actually translating that has proven to be, you know, difficult. But we always refer back to our statement of values and, you know, we only allow ourselves to grow as long as we grow within the realm of our values. That's really important.
0: The Australian beer market is essentially, like, at the big scale kind of a duopoly, right? Like There's Carlton, there's Lion, and then there's a whole lot of, like, you know, I guess, like, medium size and sort of smaller and then craft brewers. Um, Lion and Carlton have been pretty aggressive about trying to kind of, I guess, enter into the craft market. Like, have they come knocking on your door and tried to, like, buy you guys and things like that? Is that something that...
1: No, look, they haven't. Uh, There has been every single rumour under the sun the last year and a half. Uh, If you believe what you hear on the streets, we've been bought by Lion, Asahi, Carlton... We bought Jamison supposedly, which was a good one. Um, good work, Oscar. That's that's a, that's a, that's yeah, a big hustle. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> Look, I think I think that young Henry's. We are a sum of our parts. You know, we are a bunch of larrikins. We make good beer. We're very passionate, but it's sort of a it's a it's a rowdy workplace. I wonder whether that's attractive to. I don't really think it would be attractive to the bigger guys, you know, like, (laughs) to basically inherit a bunch of misfits. I (laughs) I don't think that that would be sort of, you know, their scope, and look, to be perfectly honest, it's not, it's not really in my head, you know, I I don't want to sell my job and have to work for someone else. I don't want to have to stop doing what I'm loving and go and find another challenge, like, this is an incredible challenge. Probably more challenging now than it was to begin with. You know, where as as it grows, the the challenges grow with it, you know. But the quality of life and the the pride that I get to feel walking out of out of Young Henry's every afternoon, you know, that's really really special and that I, I don't want to sell that. Yeah. The brand's
0: obviously like based in this sort of I guess it's like something you discover and it's a bit underground and it's got this kind of culture about it. How do you grow and scale that? So you've done 5 million leaders, you're national. Like, Have you guys sort of thought about how you maintain this kind of cool credibility while becoming like a bigger and
1: bigger sort of player in the scheme of things? We support live music and we support art because we actually like it. You know, we, we sponsor different motorcycle events because a bunch of us ride. We actually like it. It's not a thought out marketing plan. What we're doing is genuine interaction with things that people within our company actually are into, actually know about. You know, our we've got a whole bunch of musicians, we've got some we've got artists, we have got people that ride motorbikes, we've got a couple of guys that play bike polo, You know, we've got a dancer, it, we've got a really amazing mix of different people that have interests outside of work and we allow our people to actually be involved in, from a young Henry's point of view, with different things that they're actually interested in. You know, We will promote and support their bands, we will promote and support their bike polo tournaments So by continuing to grow with new people and allowing them to to do things which they're actually already doing and they're already passionate about, you just basically create new communities for your brand. And they're legitimate because it's been brought in by this person that actually loves this thing. And look, that's a really, really slow way of marketing, but it's, who cares, It's, it's legitimate and it's fun. And it means that a whole bunch of people get to experience our beer through something that they're actually passionate about and isn't that the best way to ever come to a new product you know seeing your favorite band and having a nice beer or being at you know a bike polo match and having a couple of tinnies on the grass you know <laughs> what that is is that's actual human reaction uh, interaction sorry what's too much of marketing in the world is i don't know it's trying to trick someone into buying something or trying to tell them that they're not good enough without it or that they'd be better off with it whatever I I think that quite a lot of marketing is quite hollow and bigger beer companies they're now you know doing experiential stuff and look they've been doing that for a long time really just seems natural to us so we'll continue doing that because it's working you know Where do you get inspiration from?
0: Like, from, like, say, the business side of things. Like, I know music's a huge part of your life and, like, the kind of culture around that. But, like, when you, as the business scales up and you're hiring 60 people, do you ever look to, like, other resources or, like, books or things like that to kind of learn how to do
1: things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I've actually started listening to podcasts. I'm enjoying listening to, listening to other people talk about their experiences and, trying to take little bits and pieces out of that. I quite like uh, listening to this guy at the moment who has quite a, like, it's not quite self-help. It's not quite Anthony Robbins sort of thing, but it's it's in between uh, Anthony Robbins and sort of like a management learning sort of uh, podcast. I think that's quite... Who's that? Oh, uh, what's his name? I can't remember at the moment. <laughs> that's all right. But um, I'm really enjoying that because I find that at work we need to keep everyone positive. And sometimes I feel like, well, hang on, who keeps me positive? So I've been you know, listening to this guy, and I'm been walking into work in the morning going, "Yeah, you know, I can do this." <laughs> so daggy, that is so daggy. I don't know. I think. I think. Um, I do. I like going to talks and different things like that whenever I can. I really like going, listening to music, reading, just, I don't know, simple human stuff that allows you downtime. I I don't listen, I don't answer my phone once I get home as well, which is a really important thing, you know, actually switching off for a while, I find is um, a very important thing for me so that when I wake up in the next morning, I've actually had some time away from it Objectivity but actual rest as well. Yeah, cool. And have you got advice for other
0: people that are looking to get out there and start their own thing?
1: I would say that respect respect your time, both by financially, you know, looking after yourself but also respecting family time and, and finding a cutoff. You need to know where your business begins and ends, and that can be really, really difficult. It doesn't get easier. It'll change, and certain parts of it will get easier, but the challenges will definitely always be there. But the beauty of it is that as you go along, you'll find, you know, brilliant people that you hire that make certain aspects of it easier. You will always be faced with challenges which will keep you up at night, but the day-to-day becomes easier because you actually get to surround yourself with people that you know can be incredibly inspiring. It's an amazing thing to be able to build a team. We've got a an incredible group of humans work together and look after each other and what's amazing about our staff is that we'll see them having a really really stressful day And it's not the pressure that we're putting on them that is giving them the stress, it's pressure that they're putting on themselves there's something that they really need to get done or they want to get done and you know it's a really incredible it's a really incredible thing you know they're not fearing the whip you know what I mean they're, they want to achieve, they want to do this because they believe in it. And that's a really incredible thing.
0: All that time spent in bars, all that time spent in, um, you know, the brewery. What What's some tips for people to pour a perfect beer?
1: Clean glassware. You can never wash glasses in a like beer glasses in a normal commercial dishwasher. If you're in a pub, you know that you have to have a proper glass washer. So, super clean glass. The beer glass up to the tap, on an angle on like a, you know, almost 45 degree angle. You've got to pour it up to about the two thirds mark and you've got to set it down, let the head form and then you pour the rest through the head. I think that's really important. You've got to do that two-step pour in a clean glass and you're golden.
0: Too easy. So, Oscar, if people want to connect with you or Young Henry's, where can they find the info?
1: www.younghenrys.com facebook.com forward slash young henry's at young henry's instagram that's um they're basically our main three communication devices too easy thank you so much oscar that was an amazing chat thanks for um, your time man i really appreciate it i'm glad
0: you made it through the scalding hot um beer residue stuff
1: yeah i am too (laughs) i reckon if i didn't at least they would have named a beer after me (laughs) (laughs) completely
0: That's it for another episode of Founders University. This episode was brought to you by Squarespace. Hop on to squarespace.com, buy a domain and set up a website with one of their beautifully designed templates. And don't forget to use the offer code PTV to get 10% off your first purchase. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, rate us five stars and forward a link to a friend. Stay tuned for another episode of Founders University coming to your headphones and speakers in a fortnight.